on page 638 in the Red Pew Bible in front of you. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. It's good to see you this morning. I know we've got a number of visitors with us and we want you to know that we're especially glad that you're here. Thank you so much for coming and worshiping God with us this morning. Every month in the last half of this year, we've been concentrating on a way to be evangelistic, to reach out to our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones with the gospel. And it's a new month. It's hard to believe it's November, isn't it? But it's a new month. And the, the lesson today doesn't necessarily have much to do with the challenge for this month. So, you know, what's on the screen behind me? Oh, let me just do this. Yeah. So the challenge, though, this month for November, as we think about how we can reach others with the gospel is to think about our families. Because November is a time when family comes together, when we gather for events and parties and especially for Thanksgiving. Because we spend time with extended family, especially in the month of November, the challenge is for you to think about your family and to think about ways in which you can reach your family with the saving message of Jesus Christ. At the very minimum, if you don't do anything else this month, Pray specifically for your family members who need to know the gospel. If you don't do anything else, pray by name for them. Make that a daily practice in your life this month to talk to God about them and then maybe even this, to pray that you'll have the mind of Christ when you have those family gatherings, that you'll have the, the, the ability and the wisdom to maybe put some past issues or baggage aside and just to deal with these people need to know God because we love them, because we want them to obey the gospel too. At the very least, pray for them and ask God for the ability to have that kind of mind when you gather with family this month. If you wanna go one step further, pray and look for opportunities to maybe have a conversation about the gospel. Look for those opportunities. Don't just assume that, that those, those opportunities won't be available. All of us may have an opportunity if we're wise and if we're paying attention to talk to a family member. But we need to think about our families and you may be the only New Testament Christian that some of your family members know at all. And if that's true, you're a missionary even to your own family. So that's your challenge for the month of November. That's all of our challenge for the month of November, to think about, to pray for, and to look for opportunities to talk to our family about Jesus Christ and about what he's done in our lives and what he wants for their lives as well. Sound good? All right, that's what we're gonna do for November. I'm gonna be preaching some lessons, by the way, later in this month about families and about what God would have the family to be, those kinds of things uh, that go along with this theme. This morning, though, we're going to spend time talking about knowing God. Knowing God is the most important thing that you could ever do with your life. If you didn't do anything else with your life besides to know God, you would be a success. You would have lived a successful life. 
even if you never achieved anything in business, even if you never had a family and grew, uh, you know, had, had kids that grew up, even if you never did any of those things, if you know God, you are successful because that's why we have been put on this planet. That's what we're here for, to know God. Who is the Lord? That question has been asked many times throughout history. Pharaoh in Exodus 5 verse 2 said, Who is the Lord, Moses, that I should obey his voice and let the people of Israel go? Later, centuries later, a man named Nebuchadnezzar told three young people that he was going to throw them into a fiery furnace if they didn't obey him. And he asked the question, Who is the God who will be able to deliver you? Daniel chapter 3 and verse 15. A man named Saul was walking on the road to Damascus and he saw a bright light and he stopped and he asked, who are you, Lord? It's a great question. He didn't know who he was addressing, who he was talking to. Most people don't know God. And the Bible's making the point over and over. People need to know him, but most do not. In Acts 17, 23, that same man, Saul of Tarsus, who came to know God, stood on a hill in Athens, Greece, and he had preached a sermon that was entitled, The Unknown God. He said to those philosophers in Athens, I was walking around your city and I saw lots of idols, and I saw one that said, it had this inscription, to the unknown God, the one that you worship in ignorance, he said, him I declare to you. I wanna tell you about the God that you do not know, he says. The passage it was read just a moment ago is Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Listen carefully to what the prophet tells us. It is a recipe for a successful life. Listen, thus says the Lord. God is saying this. It's not just Jeremiah's opinion. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. There are a lot of people that do that. There are a lot of wise people that are learned, that have academic credentials and success, and they boast in what they've got in their heads. Don't do that, God says. Let not the mighty man boast in his might, people who are strong or people who are powerful. Let them not boast in those things. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Don't talk about how big your bank account is or how much money and power you have over others. Those are not things to glory in. Rather, here's what God says. Let him who boasts, boast in this. It's underlined that he knows and understands me. God, that I am the Lord. I am the one who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. I delight when people know me. And if you know what's right in your life, you'll delight in that and glory in that you know and understand me. What God wants from you more than anything else is for you to know him. To know God is the reason why we're here in this world. Just like a knife was made to cut, just like a light was made to shine, just like a horse was made to run, you were made, you were built to know God. And God says, if you don't know me, you've missed everything. You've missed the point of life. That's what we're here for. If you're going to boast in anything, boast in your knowledge of God. 
we need to think about what it means to know God. First this morning, notice there is a problem described in the Bible and the problem is that people do not know God. The Old Testament prophets especially talked about this, but you see it in the new as well. For example, Hosea chapter four, verse one, the prophet writes, there is no knowledge of God in the land. Why were the people of Israel wicked? Because they did not know God. Later in the same chapter, he says, my people People are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Not just that they don't know the Bible, they don't know God, they don't know what he's like, they don't have a relationship with him. And this is a problem in Hosea's day, centuries ago. Jeremiah 9 verse 3, earlier in the chapter that we just read, they proceed from evil to evil, God says, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. When God was diagnosing the nation of Israel's problems, he said their main problem, their fundamental issue is they don't know me. And it's because of that that they go from evil to evil. Again, in Jeremiah chapter nine, verse six, heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit, lies, fake news. They refuse, he says, to know me, declares the Lord. It's not just that they're ignorant. It's not just that they don't understand some things about who God is and how they need a relationship with him. They refuse, they actively say, we're not interested. We don't want to hear from you, God. We don't want to seek your face and know you. They refuse to know me, says the Lord. When you turn over to the pages of the New Testament, you find similar concepts. First Thessalonians four, verse five, talking to Christians now. The writer says, each one should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. He's talking about sexual immorality in this passage, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. What's the problem? Why do the Gentiles conduct themselves in immoral ways? Because they do not know God. That's the problem with the world. Every domestic problem, every civic problem, every societal issue that we face boils down to the fact that people are refusing and do not know God. It all boils down to that. The Bible makes that assessment, it makes that diagnosis. If people knew God, if people knew God, no one would ever abuse a wife or child. If people knew God, the liquor industry and the drug cartels would shut down immediately. If people knew God, there would be no people in prison because we all know God and we're gonna do what God desires and law is for lawbreakers. If people knew God, there would be no racial oppression. There would be no injustice in the world. If people knew God, all of these things, both on a societal level and on an individual level, these things would be non-factors because... When we don't know God, it has consequences in how we live and how we treat our fellow man. The problem with the world, brothers and sisters, is not that we didn't vote the right people into office. I know it's on your minds this week. I know that's why I'm preaching the sermon. The problem with the world is not that we gotta get it right this time. The problem with the world is that people do not know God. Evangelism is the way in which we're going to help our society, our community, our country to be what God would have it to be. That's the only way. That's what God desires of us. 
The problem with the world is sin. People do not know God and therefore they turn to their own ways and follow their own passions and their own lusts. That's what's wrong. That's what we believe with all of our hearts deep down inside. That's what we think about our society and about our community. This is God's diagnosis, not ours. And by the way, there's a warning in scripture on, on this front. The fact that people don't know God, listen to what 2 Thessalonians chapter one writes. At the end of time, whenever that is, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven, it says, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance, it's underlined on the screen, on those who do not know God. Those are fearsome words to contemplate. Who is God angry with? He's angry with people that refuse to know him, that will not come to know him. And the Lord Jesus will come and inflict vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Incidentally, this passage communicates to us that knowing God and obeying the gospel are related very intricately. Knowing God and obedience to the gospel are closely aligned with one another. Upon whom is Jesus going to take vengeance? Those who do not know God, those who do not obey the gospel. It is a warning and it is a problem. And God says, if we know what his will is, if we want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're going to give our lives to helping others around us to know God. Not just to baptize people, that's a wonderful thing, that's a right thing, that's a commandment of God, but to help them to know God. That's the purpose and the goal of teaching someone the gospel. As you think about this idea of knowing God, secondly, there's an invitation in the Bible, and the invitation is everyone can know God. You can know him too. You can come to have a relationship with the almighty, infinite creator of the universe. Galatians 4 verses 8 and 9 says this to Christians. It says, formerly, he's talking about before they became Christians, when you did not know God. People who are not Christians by definition, according to this passage, are those who do not know God. You say, that sounds really arrogant. It's what the Bible's telling us. Before these people became Christians, they did not know God. They were enslaved, it says, to those that by nature are not gods. But when they came to know God, or rather, and I like the way he says this, or rather to be known by God. Now that you've come to know God and God knows you, it's a mutual thing. It's not just... You know, I knocked on somebody's door one time years and years ago and I was having a religious conversation with this fella and, and he finally just got, he got, he'd had enough. And he said, you know what? I know God and I know my Bible and I don't need to talk to you. And he slammed the door in my face. It's not just about, and that's, you know, that's on him, that's okay. But it's, it's not just about what I say about whether I know God. It's not just about me saying the words, I know God. It's, it's also, does God know me? Am I known by God? That's important as well in this. But then Paul, Paul writes in, Philipp, in Galatians chapter four, verses eight and nine, he says, if, you, if you're known by God, how then can you go back to the weak and beggarly elements of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? In other words, now that you've come to know God, it changes your life, it changes the way you behave. Don't go back to how you used to live before you knew God. Don't do that. You can come to know God, you can have a relationship with him. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah prophesied that there was going to be a new covenant 
The old covenant had to do with Moses and the law of Moses and in Exodus chapters 19 and 20 and on, onward. And Jeremiah said, there's gonna be a new covenant that comes. And here's how he describes it in Jeremiah 31, verse 33. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. He says, I will put my law within them. And he says, I will write it on their hearts. God's gonna take his laws, his, his principles and his commandments, and he's gonna write that on people's hearts and on their minds. And then he says this, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer, watch this, no longer will anyone teach his neighbor and his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The old covenant was a covenant God made with a nation. He made it with the nation of Israel. And everybody that was born into that family, into that heritage was taught, you must grow up and you must know the Lord. You had to teach your children to know the Lord under the old covenant. You're already part of the covenant, but now you've got to know the Lord. And God said, it's not going to be like that in the new covenant. In the new covenant, they're gonna be taught first, I'm gonna take my laws and write them on your heart and mind. And when my laws are written on your heart and mind, you will come to obey and thereby know me. And nobody will have to say, know the Lord to another Christian because if you're a Christian, by definition, you already do know the Lord. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Why preach the gospel? Because we're asking people, we're inviting people by the gospel. Come and know the Lord, the God who saved you, who made a way for you to have a right relationship with him. Everybody can know the Lord. And the characteristic of the new covenant is that we hear the gospel and we obey it. And when we obey the gospel by repentance and baptism, we come into a knowledge of God, the way the Bible talks about it. We know the Lord. The Bible speaks about Christians needing to know the Lord in a number of places. Jesus said in John 17, three, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What's eternal life all about? It's not just having a ticket to heaven. Eternal life is about knowing God, about having a relationship with God, about knowing Jesus Christ and having a relationship with him. That's what eternal life entails. That's why we talk about heaven being a place where God is and we see him face to face and we're able to praise and glorify and honor him face to face because we wanna know him even better than we do right now. Philippians 3.10, Paul's ambition was to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings and be conformed to his death. His whole mission in life, this is what I want more than anything else, to know Jesus, to know God. Again, in Colossians 1.10, Paul prayed for his brethren that they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He's not just talking about facts and details, he's talking about knowing someone. Husbands and wives that get married early on, you don't really, really know that other person. But as you spend time together and as you spend years and eventually decades together, you get to know and there's this constant discovery, this constant um, learning more about the other person that goes on in a marriage relationship. That's what it's like with God. 
You come to know him when you're baptized, when you become a Christian, and then there's this growing process that happens for the rest of your days, increasing in the knowledge of God, knowing him even better. It's a picture of the Christian life. God wants that for you. Wherever you are in your life, God wants those things for you. He wants you to know him. Third this morning, there's a warning in the Bible. Many are deceived about knowing God. Many people say they know God, they believe they know God, they're sincere about knowing God, but they are deceived. There are warnings, listen to them. Titus 1.16, talking about some rebellious people in the church who had an agenda that they wanted to push. It had nothing to do with the gospel, it had nothing to do with the Bible, it had everything to do with their own personal ideas of what needed to be done in people's lives, and they were pushing these agendas And the Bible says they profess to know God, but in their works they deny Him. The way they're living shows they don't really know God, because if they did, they would submit to the will of God, the Word of God. Another passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 34, in talking about people who were saying in the church, there is no resurrection from the dead. They were teaching that. Can you imagine going to a Bible class on a Sunday morning and having a guy stand up and teach the class? There's no such thing as resurrection from the dead. When we die, we're just dead and that's the end. That was happening in Corinth, it seems. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, wake up, he says, from your drunken stupor. You need to pay attention, he says. It's right, don't go on sinning, don't go on listening to these false teachings about the resurrection and other things. For some have, he says, no knowledge of God. He's talking about people in the church. Some of you don't know God, he says. And I say this to your shame. If you knew God, you would listen and teach what he teaches. If you knew God, you would accept the doctrine that comes from Jesus Christ and you would preach that. But I say it to your shame that there are some in the church who don't know him and the way that you're living your life and the way that you're teaching. First John 2, 4, think about what he's saying here. Whoever says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. It's not just about whether I say I know God, it's about what I do that shows, that proves that I know God. Can it be proved by your life that you really know God? Can it be proved by the way you act and the way you think and the way you treat others that you have a relationship with him? Because whoever says I know him but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. You can say all the words, you can sing all the songs, but you may be lying in doing so. The truth is not in him. First John four verses seven and eight, consider this passage. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. We sing this song all the time. It's the one that's got the four parts, you know, love one another. We sing this song. It's based on this verse right here, but listen to what it's saying. Listen to what it's saying. For love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Question, who is he talking about loving? Answer, he is talking about loving our brethren in Christ. Let us love one another. Who's the us? The other Christians around you. Let us love one another for love is of God. And then he goes on and says, anyone who does not love does not know God 
because God is love. If I think it's okay to harbor malice and hatred in my heart toward my brother, I don't know God. If I think it's okay to harbor that and to live with that and to not try to reconcile that, if I think that that's okay and if you're living your life that way, the Bible says we don't know God because love is of God. Or if I become disinterested in my brethren. I read a quote recently that said this. It said, disinterest is the ultimate form of hate. I've been thinking about that for a while, disinterest. You know, sometimes when you get crossways with somebody and you start having a conflict with them, you got all this passion and fire and anger in you and that's going on and on and on. And then finally you get to a point where you're just apathetic. You know what? I'm just not interested anymore. I just don't even. And if I get disinterested in my brethren, whoever does not love does not know God for God is love. It's about knowing him, the way we treat one another the way we treat other Christians. 1 John 4, 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. He does not love his brother. If he doesn't love his brother who he has seen, how could he love God whom he has not seen? We have trouble with God when we have trouble with our brethren. It's a warning. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Warnings in scripture. Jesus is speaking these words and listen to what he says. He's talking about the day of judgment and how many people are deceived. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. Folks, it's not just about what we say. It's not just about having good intentions. It's not just about saying one of these days, I'm gonna get around to doing what I know is right. I'm gonna get around to obeying the will of God. Nope, Jesus says, it's the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. He's the one who's gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he brings up an illustration. Jesus says, on that day, on the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? These people are sincere. They are doing good things. They are religious. And Jesus responds, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We could be religious. We can do all the right things and yet fail to know God. Jesus is warning us not to miss the point because in all that we talk about in evangelism, hearing the word of God, obeying the word, believing in Jesus, repenting and confessing and being baptized and all that we talk about and those things are commandments, we can sometimes miss the big point. And the big point is the problem with the world is that people don't know God. And the way someone comes to know God is by obedience to the gospel. And if someone hasn't obeyed the gospel, they can be the most sainted, the most noble, the most wonderful, the most generous, the most compassionate, the most kind person in the world. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's a warning to take seriously. Do you know God? Are you increasing in your knowledge of God? It's the problem with the world, it's the problem with us, if we're really being honest.
and it's an invitation for everyone to accept. Maybe you need to accept that invitation this morning to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, to obey the gospel, and to have a relationship with God where not only do I say I know God, but God says He knows me. If we can help you obey the gospel this morning, why don't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing.